WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And uh, just before we get into the run-up towards the United States Grand Prix this weekend at the Circuit of the Americas, we have a very special guest uh, joining me on this week's edition of the show. It, you've, you've probably seen him on YouTube. Um, one of the best comedians in this game. Uh, a very, very funny man. No holds barred when it comes to his thoughts on F1 and everything else in between, actually. Because I know I know you like your other series as well. Don't, isn't that right? A certain FP1 will. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're setting me up for a all here but uh no uh, pleasure <laughs> pleasure to be here pleasure to be here really looking forward to to getting stuck in no no i mean i, I can't wait for you i would not set you up for a full what, what sort of host do you take me for on, on on this podcast it's a we're all friends here until the takes start flying uh, so the, the, you get the first five minutes for free um so that that's fun indeed so yeah we have fp1 will join us on this edition can't wait to get stuck into some of these takes in just a moment but of course as every podcast can be someone's first a quick explanation on hdw so on this show you the fine wtf1 audience sends in your takes normally on twitter um on monday morning whenever you see the tweet look out for the hot sauce bottle you can't miss it um but if you aren't on on whatever elon musk decides to call twitter this week um you can also tag me on instagram and send your takes over there i have actually changed the instagram username to make it clear because for some reason a lot of people still call me drew over on that side so now my username on instagram is dre harrison wtf1 it's not quite as catchy but at least my name is now actually spelt clearly correctly it helps um so you can send your takes in over there as well um feel free to just dm me on instagram and i'll see what happens actually had quite a few from instagram make the cut this week so this should be a fun one uh to say the least there's some very spicy stuff in there um i'm looking forward to that and of course you can email the show at contact at wtf1.com feel free to send your takes in over that way as well looking forward to getting stuck in to some of these so once you guys send in your takes me and our guest in this case the lovely will will go back and forth uh for a, a little bit have a little discussion about it and then we'll score them on a scale of one to five one being that we strongly disagree and five being that we strongly agree with said takes now i believe will has also agreed to play on hard mode which means you're only allowed <laughs> to use the free rating once over the course of the show and uh to be fair i think these takes are quite divisive so I don't think this will be too much of a problem this week. But hey, you never know. We'll we'll see. So, Will, are you ready to play Hot Takes Wednesday? I am ready to play Hot Takes Wednesday. Let's do it. Take number one comes from Radu28 on Twitter. And Radu says, quote, The second seat at Red Bull would damage the career of any driver on the grid. Once you find yourself in it, you would either be Max's number two for the rest of your career or be seen as damaged goods once you leave. One more time. The second season of Red Bull will damage the career of any driver on the grid. Once you find yourself in it, you would either be Max's number two for the rest of your career or be seen as damaged goods once you leave. That's from Radu28. Thanks for the take, Radu. Will, what do you make of that one? Is that second Red Bull seat a poison chalice? Well, I think if we look back at history, it's 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 difficult to disagree. If you look at hmm. the likes of Gasly, you look at the likes of Albon, even current events with... Perez. I feel like Perez is a very different case compared to the last two, mm. uh, both in terms of the stage of the career where he's at and what we've seen on track, especially over this season in particular. 
But equally, I feel like as time goes on, as we get closer to that 2028 deadline that Verstappen seems to have set on his own career, uh, whether I believe he's really going to call it a day as he keeps seem to be saying, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'll believe it when I see it. But I guess as we get closer to that date, and it's sort of why the likes of Lando Norris now is mentioned when we talk about future successes for that seat, maybe Red Bull can start looking to the future and maybe the T or the driver that ends up in that seat can start looking at that and thinking, well, maybe, maybe I won't be for Stappen's number two forever. If he does decide to go again, I'm not sure how much I believe that, but it's certainly interesting. It's, it's a very interesting take that second bit in particular. I do agree with in terms of Perez. Mm. I think, you know, if you, if you leave that, that seat, something's not gone well and it's a very high performing team they need a second driver that can perform. It's why Gasly was dropped midway through 2019. It's why Albon was dropped at the end of 2020. And it's why Perez appears to be on the uh, the chopping block next. So you can turn it around. I mean, look at Gasly, look at Albon. Mm. I feel like with Perez, it will be the end of his career. I don't see where else he'd be able to fit in uh, unless he's really determined to stay on the grid. He might go to a back marker, but I can't see it. Uh, but the second part... I, left. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the second part of that statement, I'm I'm fully in agreement with. This is an interesting one. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this one, Will. It's it's hard to disagree on this one. I think a lot of people just don't like the fact that Red Bull are a lot more blatant about the fact that it's a one-two system. I mean, they have no intention of... And if you look at the history of Red Bull as a team, their two greatest drivers, Sebastian Vettel and uh, Max Verstappen, were both team leaders. Um, They had valuable backups, depending on who you ask, um, support them. Um, When it was Vettel, it was Mark Webber. And, you know, Webber at first lashed out a little bit against what had happened to what he thought was his team. But ultimately I think it was kind of proven right. that Vettel should have been the number one guy and Vettel made that team his own. And Max since joining, I mean, it's obvious this was Red Bull's master plan with Max Verstappen from the moment he came up through Karting. Um, you know, one and done in European Formula 3, gets to F1 within, he does barely a year in uh, the artists formerly known as Toro Rosso, gets the gig. Well, that's that's the perfect title bike to slide Daniel Kvyat out the door um, when he had that massive crash at Russia. Um, and it's been Max's team ever since. And it's, it's, it's funny that Radu mentions it because... I still think Red Bull are looking for someone on the level of Daniel Ricciardo when he was Max's teammate 2016 to 18. Um, they've never really had someone that's close to Verstappen's overall ability since then. They tried, as you mentioned, they tried Gasly. That didn't work. They tried Albon. They wanted someone more experienced. And they they broke their own policy. They, they even were like, okay, we've got to go outside our own umbrella because you've exhausted every option. So they brought in Checo, who came off a really, really good season at Racing Point in 2020. People forget he was fourth in the championship that year in a racing point. Um, now, now an Aston Martin as we know it, but uh, yeah, it, it Max is so good, and I, mean, I think it's obvious that Max is an incredible talent, and it's it's hard for anyone to 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 stand up to what he can bring to the table. Um, and Red Bull 
I don't think they've been looking for a potentially second elite driver to go alongside them. I think they've been content with Sergio until really the last five or six races this season where he's really struggled, you know, qualifying struggles, race pace struggles, Qatar, we had the track limits, um, whack another 15 seconds to his time. <laughs> um, it was, oh, that was another disaster. Um, so the damage is good spot. I absolutely agree with because Gasly and Albon had to fight to salvage their careers after they were demoted. Um, if Checo does get booted at the end of the year, I don't think it will happen, but there's still an outside chance. There's only one seat left on the grid, and that's the Williams seat. And it, would James Vowles move Logan Sargent on for him? We don't know. Um, I think the impression that I get from Vowles is that he's trying to give Sargent every chance to defend his seat. Um, so again, we'd have to wait and see how that plays out. It's it's. I I wonder if it's more just a de facto number two sort of role because Max is just so good um, that no one can stand up to him no matter what you do. But it is hard. It is hard given how Max got here. You know, given how good he's been for Red Bull since he got his promotion, he's been the talisman driver of that team for got over half a decade now, um, and is. It's hard to argue he's not the best racing driver on the planet right now. Um, I, I, it's hard not to it's hard not to disagree with this one. I think I'll, I'll give you a score in a minute, but will how how what 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 are you leaning towards on this one? Because I mean, unless I think you're someone like a Lewis Hamilton, it feels like walking into this team is asking for trouble unless you're at Verstappen's level and how many drivers are even close to that? I don't even know. It's probably less than, it's it's probably less than five. Um, <laughs> is, 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 I think that would be a fair answer. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think, yes, Red Bull are looking for that next Ricardo, the next driver that can stand up in any way to Verstappen. But I don't feel like we got, or what like we had the, the finished product with Verstappen. If we look at 2018, 2017, Max was still making mistakes. He was still learning. And really, he was at the age where most F1 drivers, I would say, come into Formula One. Uh, we obviously know that, that, that Max came in far earlier than uh, than your standard Formula One driver. So yeah, I feel like if you put prime Ricardo against prime Verstappen, you may well still see a similar thing to what we saw with Checo, what we sure. uh, what we what we saw with Gasly, what we saw with Albon. I think it's such a mental game, and the Red Bull team and the whole dynamic inside that team really shows how much of a mental game Formula One is. Because I feel like even Albon started very strongly uh, against uh, we, well in in that team when he came in in mid season in his rookie year. Started from the back, I believe it was in uh, Belgium, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, and and had a really good comeback drive. And then we had races like Brazil at the end of that year, where he could have got a podium had he not bumped into Hamilton, uh, or Austria the following year, where he would have got a podium had he not bumped into Hamilton. Uh, and <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like even saying that will get me in trouble. Or Hamilton bumped into him. We'll say it both ways, so I annoy both parties. Yeah, but, just, just, um, cover, just cover both bases. Piss yeah, off everybody. Yeah, yeah exactly. mm-hmm. that's that's my style. But yeah, I, I I just feel that as that 2020 season in particular rolled on, and he had setback after setback after setback. It really stung. And you could see by the end of the year, he was a shell. 
And we're yes. seeing a similar thing with Checo now, where he started that year pretty strongly. Mm, okay, yeah. he had he had the little wobble in qualifying in Australia. We're talking 2023 now. He went off in Q1, started from the back there, but still fought back and had an okay race. And then he won it won the race before in, in Saudi. He won in Baku, the race, uh, or four, round four. And then come Miami, where Oof. Verstappen started ninth and came through to pass in the closing stages, it just fell away and we are seeing it maybe it's recency bias but i think it's even more obvious than what we saw maybe with someone like albon where he's just so drained and it's just mistake after mistake after mistake and he's stuck in this almost death spiral uh that we are becoming quite used to seeing in that second red bull car so yeah i'm I'm definitely settling on the agree to strongly agree side for this one yeah, me too. I mean, I think you pinpointed the key race for me where I think it started to come undone for Perez. Um, when he won in Baku, he was six points off the championship lead. And I was thinking, oh, hang on, this might be our only hope for a title fight here, given Red Bull was so strong to start the year. And well, they have been all year. <laughs> um, uh, we thought P- Perez might be our only hope for a title fight. And <laughs> that quickly evaporated after Miami. That, that was the key round for me. That, that was a round that, was, that Perez was... Like that was designed for him to win. He was starting from pole. Max was caught out in qualifying by that Leclerc red flag. Um, had to start ninth. Max had to clear all that traffic at the start of the race. And Max was going faster than him on 20 lap older tires. It was just, just it just showed the golfing talent between mm-hmm. the pair of them. And and I don't think Checo's been the same guy since he was beaten in Miami. Um, that was a six point gap in the championship. I think it was about 70, about three rounds later. Like Perez's season fell apart right there and then. And he's never been able to quite get back to that sort of early start of the season where he could follow Max home, which is what all Red Bull really needs. They don't need Mm. him to beat Max. Just be competitive and stick with him. Get podiums. If you rack those up, no one's going to complain about you being in the number two role. That's fine. Um, But I think he's only had seven podiums in 17 races or something like that this year. It's just when you've got one of the strongest cars ever, um, it's, it's people are going to ask for more understandably. So yeah, I'm with you on this. I'm leaning towards agreeing with Radu on this. I'm going to say, I'm going to say four on this one. I do agree. Um, Maybe if a better driver comes along to that Red Bull setup, maybe we could have a look at that conversation again one day. Um, but Red Bull has a, has a distinct policy. They don't hire from outside their own umbrella. Um, people have rumored about people like Lando Norris potentially joining that team in the future. Does Red Bull want to hire another number one in, in there potentially? Because I think Lando is a very, very good driver. I'm not sure Red Bull would want someone like Lando in that. Do they need someone like Lando in that setup if their car is still so good? Question for another day. But um, ultimately, I agree with a four. Um, how are you scoring this, Will? I'm right with you on a four. Uh, I feel like the only thing that's stopping me from giving it a five is the hope that there is a driver out there that can that can do it. And in fairness, we've seen drivers challenge Max just not consistently. We've seen Albon do it very briefly. We've seen... Perez do it, but it's not consistent and they can't keep it up over a whole year. Uh, and maybe there is, maybe, maybe it's Norris. Norris is the name that's really coming to mind right now. I know Ricardo is another one that's floating around. And, you know, uh, those that watch me will know that I'm a massive Ricardo simp. I love the guys, but 
Uh, sure. I, 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 and I, you know, I'd love to see him back in the Red Bull as well, but I don't think he will quite live up to all these high expectations that that, that Formula One's have of him right now. Uh, but yeah, so I, I'll, I'll stick with a four. I'm, I'm right with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see Ricardo back up there as well. I'm, I'm a big admirer of, of Ricardo's talents. He was, I think, the only person that's really had a run at Red Bull that was close to Max. Um, but that was five years ago. Like a lot's changed since then. He was great at Renault, not not so great at McLaren. So I'm a lot like Eminem. Will the real Daniel Ricciardo please stand up? Because we because <laughs> he's only had two races since coming back this year. We just don't know how good he is at this point. It's very up in the air. But we'll have. I mean, Red Bull has the luxury of trying to figure all that out now. They've got both titles wrapped up. They can now look at all their drivers and try and make a, a fair assessment on on who's good enough. And that will be fascinating to see how that goes down over the next year or so. Um, maybe even by the end of this season, if Red Bull wants to be really aggressive and make another change. I don't think that will happen, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I'm going to change my list a little bit here because I think it's only fair that we, we link the two Perez takes in this episode together because there's another one in here from uh, Sandal Footbomb on Twitter. It's a fantastic username, I must say. Um, <laughs> Perez will not be one of the top 10 drivers um, of the 2024 season. Wow, that's bold. Um, Perez will not be one of the top 10 drivers of the 2024 season. Now, the way I look at this, is there an assumption that Red Bull might get caught in terms of their overall performance? There must be some hope in there that um, the fuel catches up. And then if you combine that with Perez's already clear struggles, he might slip down the board a bit. Because otherwise, I know Perez hasn't been great, but I don't think he's that bad where he's going to slip out of the top 10 entirely, Will. I mean, line it up if you've got a different perspective than me on this one, but I think that would be a, a very big shock if Perez, who's, let's not forget, he's still second in the championship right now, despite the bad season. Um, to fall out of the top 10? It's an interesting one, isn't it? And mm. for me, I think it, it has to, 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 to be based off that assumption that we are going into what is really the third year in a row with stable regulations. They changed a little bit from 22 to 23. They're hardly changing at all from 23 to 24. And we're already seeing, seeing teams catch up. Look at McLaren, for instance, look at Ferrari, uh, look at potentially Mercedes. Uh, if they can both stay on track together, they, they, they can catch up and we have seen that gap close. I feel like if Red Bull have played their cars right and their wind tunnel time right, they can make a nice step up, a bit like Mercedes did in their period of dominance where the teams like Red Bull would catch up towards the end of the year. But in reality, what was happening was Merck had just focused fully on the next year's car at that stage because they knew they had the championship in the bag. If that's what Red Bull are doing, and one would assume that they are, you would imagine they would make a step up. The snag is how much more of a step is there before we hit the peak level of these cars? until we see a big regulation change. I mean, it's 2026, isn't it? The new aero regs and, and engine regulations will come into force. So I think that sets up a really interesting storyline coming into 2024, where if the field are closer together, you know, Checo, if he keeps performing like he is right now, he has got a runaway car, as you said earlier, 
And he went six rounds in the middle of the season without getting into Q3. Is it Monaco all the way up to Hungary? He did get in, but whether the race was before, was it Silverstone the race before? Couldn't make it into the top 10 in qualifying, which is unheard of. Absolutely. Unheard. I think we all used to complain that Bottas wasn't close enough to Hamilton. Whereas actually, you know, qualifying was his strength and he was doing really, really well. And I feel like Checo's performance now has almost improved Bottas's stock a little bit and makes us go back and they go, oh, well, actually, you know, he wasn't he wasn't quite as as uh, as bad is not the right word to use because he did a very, very good job alongside Hamilton. But ah, it's just it's just tricky with Sergio. But if that continues, if that form continues and the likes of McLaren and Mercedes and Ferrari and Aston, if they can get their act together, keep on pushing, then all of a sudden that's nearly five cars that could be quicker than Perez. And we could see Checo struggling in the uh, in the bottom half of the top 10. So from that perspective, as ridiculous as it initially seems, it's not quite as crazy to imagine. So yeah. I'm 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 really I'm trying not to use my three up this early on into the game, but I'm really teetering between a two and a four here as to whether I agree or whether I disagree. I think if he carries on this downward spiral, uh, you know, I called it a death spiral earlier, and I'll stick to that. If this keeps getting worse, I mean, this is provided he even makes it to the 2024 season. If the recent rumours are to be believed, if it gets worse, then who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe it is possible, but. I think I'm still siding slightly to the disagree side here. I'm firmly on the disagree side on this one. <laughs> um, yeah, it would it would be Lance Stroll levels of mm. catastrophic if Perez ended up outside of the top ten because that's that's the yardstick it reminds me of, and, and that's Lance Stroll compared to Fernando Alonso this year right now and Aston Martin. Um, Fernando Alonso is what sitting fourth in the championship right now, and Lance Stroll is fighting with the Alpines. <laughs> and Alpine is blatantly the number six team in F1 right now. That you make a very good point. The midfield is so stacked right now; it would open the door up for Perez to potentially fall down the order quite quickly. Because, like you said, Aston Martin, McLaren, Ferrari, and Mercedes have all had at least for a handful of rounds each this year, moments where they've been the number two team in the sport right this year. Ferrari's had a race win. They've had multiple podiums of signs in the club. Mercedes, I think, have regularly been around the number three team. Um, and, you know, they've had a couple of moments where they've had a few podiums here and there. Um, McLaren have been stupid good the last, you know, six, seven races since the summer break. And Aston Martin had Fernando rack up podiums for fun in the first half of the year. So they've all had their moments. Um, if Red Bull were caught competitively, I mean, again, the FIA could, could could pull a surprise in the rule change and, you know, do something quick to try and peg Red Bull down a bit. Um, they do tend to interfere when, you know, a team is too dominant for better or worse, depending on how you look at it from a sporting standpoint. Um, if they do that, I have no, I have every faith that Max will still be a top contender because he's Max Verstappen, um, and he's maximised everything he's done in that Red Bull setup for the last few years now. Checo with the struggles combined with that, I agree with you, Will, that it's not unthinkable 
So I'm not going to say one on this, <laughs> but I will still say two. I think a lot would have to happen between now and next season. I think there'd have to be some sort of minor regulation change from the FIA to deliberately hurt Red Bull. And then if Perez's bad form continues, maybe then we can have that conversation. Because like you said, like the midfield is also close. It, I think that's what's happened to Lance Stroll this year. And we'll get to him in a minute because there's a take about Lance Stroll on the list as well. If if that continued with how stacked that midfield is, there's five or six cars that could beat Checo. And some of them are doing that right now over a, over a race weekend, let alone if Red Bull has a car that's not as strong as it was this year. Um, it would certainly open up the door. But I think a lot would have to happen for us to get to that point where he's out of the top 10 entirely. Um, unless he goes to Williams next year. That could be the other easy out here. Um, so I'm going to say two on this one. I don't think it's a one. Um, I think there is, I think, a, a, a parameter or a way that this could turn out really south for Checo next year. But I, I think it would be a long shot for it to be to be that bad so to speak so i'm gonna say two on this one how are you scoring it will i'm gonna agree with you with a two though i am gonna add one more thing and we've been talking based on the assumption that checo finishes the 2024 season with red bull we've not actually thought of the situation where red bull do what red bull have done several times already and made a swap mid-season and if we are predicting a tighter championship especially constructors championship and checo's not pulling his weight Red Bull have, may have a very valid reason to say, right, we need to try someone else out because this isn't working. If they were to, I, I feel like doing it to Checo would be incredibly harsh compared to when they did it to Gasly and Albon. They were obviously much younger in their careers. Doing it to Checo and booting him out mid-season or even you know demoting him to, to Alpha Tauri or whatever they'll be called next year uh, would be incredibly harsh. And I can only imagine the level of security that Helmut Marco would need in the Mexican Grand Prix. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, but if that were to happen, that's another potential way for, for Checo to fall out the top 10. But let's say he, he gets to the end of this year. Let's say he finishes 2024. I'll go with a two. I will, I'll disagree, but I could equally see it happening. Yeah, I've 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 heard more far fetched takes and theories on this show in my time hosting <laughs> it than that one. I, they, they, you know, I, I initially was going to say a quick one and move on first when I first saw this one, but I've actually gave it a bit more thought, and I was like, hmm, there's a couple of ways that this could actually end up happening. Um, so yeah, I think it's worthy of at least a two, even if it's not a strong disagreement. Take number three comes from Formula Max Twenty Two. I think he's got in two weeks in a row, aren't you, Lucky Max? Um, good, good man for the for the for the strong takes. The take reads here: If Lawrence Stroll was a serious team principal, he'd call Red Bull today and ask what it would cost to get Yuki in his team for next year. If Lawrence Stroll was a serious team principal, he'd call Red Bull today and ask what it would cost to get Yuki Tsunoda in his team for next year. Now, I know Max well. I know he's a big Yuki Tsunoda fan. Um, and I think that's why this has come up. Um, I think I'll, I'll get into this one first a little bit on this one because I like to mix it up a little bit. I'm inclined to agree to an extent um, on this one with you, Max. Um, Lance Stroll has been awful this year. I think that's 
pretty hard to argue against. He, he given, I'm not saying he's got to beat Fernando Alonso because Fernando Alonso was one of the greatest ever. He's a fantastic driver. He's still as good as he's ever been, even in his early 40s. He's been great. Um, the all season he's carried that team. And Stroll has obviously struggled immensely. He's lashed out at his team. He's clearly venting his spleen about the frustrations of <laughs> of, of his current situation. The problem, I mean, it's it's hard to talk about Stroll with any sense of security because, well, we all know why. It's the big Nepo baby curse, really, isn't it? Where it's like, well, we all know Lawrence has thrown millions and millions of pounds at his son to get him an F1 career, and this is his team, effectively. It's his dad's team, and, well, as long as Lance wants to be there, you'd think he'd have a seat. Um, it does beg the question... If Lawrence, as an owner, um, is serious about wanting Aston Martin to challenge for major honours, because this, is, has, this has still been a really, really good season for Aston Martin, even if they've struggled down the stretch. I mean, the promise of their early season was immense. They were the second best team in Formula One for, for a good chunk of the year. If they're serious about putting together a title campaign, they need a, they need a better second driver than Lance Stroll, 100%. However, I would also say, is Yuki Tsunoda that big an upgrade? That's the question on my mind here, because I like Yuki. I think he's a talented driver, but he's not blown anybody away in that AlphaTauri over the last three years. He was second fiddle to Pierre Gasly when they were teammates there. He has improved this year, in my opinion. The problem is Nick DeFries was his teammate. And that's the that that was your yardstick. He he's kind of traded punches with Liam Lawson when he stepped in as as, as his number two there. But again, Snow didn't blow Lawson away. They were very evenly matched, in my opinion. So, is that good? Is that good enough? I I mean I don't know. I, that's the thing in my head that stopped me from fully agreeing with this. But uh, Will, how how do you look at it initially? Oh, I mean, do you remember at the start of the year? when Alonso came out and said Stroll was going to be a world championship driver, a world champion S <laughs> driver. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe world heavyweight champion. If we look at what he's done in the garage in the last sure. couple of weeks, but uh, yeah, I, uh, Stroll is painful. I mean, I, I will be honest here. I have mm. never been a particularly large advocate of Lance Stroll. Me neither. I mean, he's surprised me at times. The pole position in, in Turkey and his prowess in the wet. And he's I think got he had something. A, yeah, he's got he's got something. And I think, was there not another wet performance in Monza back in his first season at Williams, where he was on the front row? I think penalties helped, but he was yeah, uh, the youngest he, he, driver he, on the front row or something. He, he started front row at Monza. I think it was 2017, I want to say yeah. it was, when he was with Williams, and he started front row, I think, next to Hamilton. And he's an excellent member driver. He's had a few flashes of genuine brilliance. Like, so like Turkey 2020 was the one that leaps off the page to me. That was a race he was comfortably winning until his front wing collapsed. Mm. Um, mm. That was a race he could have very well won on another day. Um, like He's got something, but... This has been by far and away his worst season than F1. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think we said coming in, and we said the same thing when Vettel came into the team, was it's a win-win for Lance Stroll. Because if, you know, if he beats Alonso, he's beaten Fernando Alonso. And if he loses to Fernando Alonso, well, he's lost to Fernando Alonso. But he somehow managed to lose a win-win situation, which is is, is interesting. Um, 
and I think we saw it straight away. I mean, we gave him a bit of uh, a, a little bit of time at the start of the year with the cycling accident, and it was clear that it was impacting his driving early on. And what's painful is some of those early races. Obviously, it's it's helped with Aston's performance as well, but some of those early races were some of Lance's best, even comparatively to Alonso. If we take where Aston Martin are in the field out of it. Uh, I think Spain was the big one where, okay, fine, Alonso ran over the gravel and damaged his floor, but, you know, Stroll was a lot closer to him on that weekend. Over the last few, and again, it's very much, I think, the mental game, and we saw that come out in Qatar. It's really got to him. It's really, really got to him. That interview like where he was just giving those one-word answers and it's it's just not there. But, of course, the main take is about Yuki, and again, I side with you, and, I, I you know, I... I friends with quite a lot of Yuki stands and I know I'm not going to be friends with them potentially after what I say here but uh, Yuki Yuki annoys me because his junior career was so good and he flew through those junior categories I don't think he ever actually won any of those championships but he was so on it and he had all this potential and I I, I put a lot of the blame at Red Bull's door because I think he could have done with another year in uh, in F2 Probably wouldn't have hurt. And I, th- I think he probably wouldn't have won the title that year, quite frankly, if he'd been with the right team. And he, yeah, they, they they put him in. He had that great, great opening race in Bahrain. And then since then, for the rest of 2021 and 22, he was nowhere and making mistakes. I agree with you when he said he made a step up in 2023. But I'm still seeing those errors. And I feel like Ricardo's return to the team hasn't helped. Uh, it was a pretty awful uh showing in uh was it hungary or maybe it's, the, the Spa it's weird because it's weird because the two races he's that ricardo's been healthy hungary ricardo was way better than him but then he got into the points in spa mm. he was he was 10th that day that was arguably one of that was arguably sonoda's best drive of yeah, the year that's it's, true it's, actually it's, yeah. it's, it's weird it's 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 <laughs> i would put it as a as a tall glass of inconclusive um yeah. <laughs> because even when lawson was there Snowda had the BS penalty in Zandvoort in a race he was running eighth in for a good while mm. of that race. He was he was hung out to dry on strategy. He didn't even start at Monza. And then at Singapore, he was taken out by Checo lap one. It's just, it's it's so weird evaluating Alpha Tauri's talent right now because we've not really had a big enough sample size for any of them to get a fair assessment on at the moment. Besides yeah. maybe Lawson, who had five races and was pretty good in four of them. <sighs> mm, mm. I, I I agree. I feel like Alpha Tauri have never had both cars firing on all cylinders. Uh I think it was it was the it was the spa sprint race where he spun early on and then dropped to the back. I think, yeah, you're right. In the main race he he absolutely killed it. Uh and then Hungary, I think he also was hurt by by strategy. I think he was ahead of Ricardo for a while. And then for whatever reason, strategy worked in, in Daniel's favor. So we've got to factor that in as well. But I, while it's been a better season for Yuki in what we think is, was especially at the start of the year, utterly, you know, it's not a dog of a car. I don't, I, I just don't know. We've only seen him in an Alpha Tauri though. We don't know how he'll do in another, in another car. We've seen it's very dependent on the package the driver has underneath them. And so the next move in Sonoda's career, be that Red Bull, which I can't see, uh, or be that Aston Martin at, at some stage in the future, which I, I think is a lot more probable, that's going to be a really key one. If he can 
turn his form around and show that maybe it was just he couldn't get everything out of the Alpha Tauri car, then all of a sudden we've got something on our hands here. But if he goes to Aston and either performs the same or does worse, then is that you know the best call? But I I think I also look at it and I see well who who else would Aston want? Who else mm. could they get in that car? Stroll's obviously there. Maybe Drogovic, who I don't rate particularly highly. I mean, he, he did all right in that F2 year, but it took him a couple of years. And in, even then before, he was very inconsistent. Year three um, champion, never yeah, normally a good sign. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I, 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 yeah, I don't know where I rate Drogovic, really. There's Stoffel? no one else. I don't see why they bring Stoffel back. They've got the experience in Alonso. I feel like if they yeah. were going to bring anyone in, it would be a, a, a young driver, which is where I think Yuki fits the bill and with Honda there as well. And mm. I can't remember. Is it 25? Six. 26. 26. Yeah, 26. Yeah. Sorry. When, uh, when when Honda... Come, yeah, that makes sense. The new engines, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So so when they come in, but will Yuki be around in, in, in 2026? I mean, there was questions over whether he'd keep his seat going into next year, even though we thought that was all set in stone at some point. So... He's always been in the hot seat with, with Yuki. And he's... Yeah. he's the, like, Alpha Tauri drivers don't normally get four years like well, normally yeah yeah normally it's either you promote them and give them a chance in the big boy seat or they're gone <laughs> like there's normally one or the other in pierre gazzi's case it was all free um you know so he's got he's got the full red bull driver bingo card um at this point so yeah it's it's really strange right now because like if aston martin wanted to replace lance stroll there's no driver that screams you've got to pencil this dude in because Aston Martin, there's a good chance they end up fifth in the standings this year. It's a solid fifth, but they've fallen out of stride compared to the other big hitters at the end of the year. That means you're probably not going to warrant or demand a top tier driver joining your team. You could argue you've already got one in Fernando Alonso, but who would you be able to get in the second seat that would automatically make you better at that level it's hard to see a name that leaps off the page Sonoda is I have less question marks about Sonoda than Stroll right now but is Sonoda so much better than Stroll I'm not convinced um I like Yuki but he doesn't leap off the page to me like you said Felipe Drogovic you know was a good Formula 2 driver but a bit sus how he was a year three champion and then suddenly ran the field over. So maybe some mechachrome energy came into play uh, <laughs> last year in Formula 2. It's a, it's a messy series, F2, it really is. Um, and if it's not him and it's, and it's not Stoffel, who's also in your reserve, he's, going, he's driving for Peugeot's hypercar program next year. Um, who else have you got? Maybe Mick Schumacher? Is, it, is that is that your option? You know, maybe as a Mercedes customer, you could say you could borrow Mick for a couple of years and see what he can do. But there, there ain't much else that leaps off the page to me as a guy that you could pencil in to replace him. Stroll has probably done enough in the previous six years of his F1 career where he might deserve one more chance for a bad year. And even if he, and even if you don't feel that way, his dad owns the team. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, we we don't get the choice, do we? No, it's like you can't talk about Stroll in the sense of jeopardy like you would have any other driver because it's just, if his dad wants to keep him, he's going to be there. It's that simple. Um, unless Lance 
leaves of his own volition. And I don't buy into that talk that, oh, he's so unhappy with F1, he's just going to walk away. I don't, I don't think it's that. I think it's just he's just frustrated at being bad this year, like a lot of drivers would be. Um, so with all that in mind, <laughs> circling back to the original take, I'm going to be controversial. I'm going to say three here. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say three. I don't normally say three, but I will on this occasion because I agree. I think Lawrence Stroll needs a better second driver if Aston Martin wants to be taken seriously at the highest level. I think that is absolutely true. I just am not sure that the that the guy I'd want to pin my hopes on would be Yuki Tsunoda. I'm not fully convinced he'd be an automatic improvement in that Aston Martin seat over Stroll. Like, I would like to see Sonoda in a different environment than the Red Bull one he's been in for the last three years to see if it's more to do with the AlphaTauri and Red Bull setup or whether it's a driver problem. It'll be interesting to see how that different dynamic would play out. But has Yuki done enough to deserve another chance elsewhere? That's the other issue as well. Like, is he... Because he he was he's he was zero two against Gasly, and now he's kind of in no man's land with the way AlphaTauri is with Ricardo and Lawson, and how it's all shaken out. It's just uh, there's, there's there's a lot of question marks about Yuki. So I'm going to say three on this one. I'm I'm putting this in the rare case of an inconclusive take. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> that's my opinion. Um, and how much are you going to piss off the Yuki stands? Well, given how much given how much they're mates with you, <laughs> well. I was gonna give it. A, I was gonna give it a, between a two and a three, but I'm actually gonna change it. I'm gonna say four now, okay? Because I'm 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 thinking of this from a matter of convenience. For Aston Martin, they get a driver who is probably a bit better than Lance Stroll. Mm. For Honda, they get a Japanese talent in in their team. Right. For Yuki, he stays on the grid for a few more years and gets a chance somewhere else. Given that Red Bull aren't gonna you know, isn't gonna work for Red Bull anyway. Red Bull have a seat freed up as well in the future because I I can't see why they're going to keep Yuki's seat warm or, or yeah keep 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 a seat warm for for Yuki at AlphaTauri if they have no intention of moving him to the main team and I think you know Ricardo and Lawson have a higher shot at going for that now mm. so I think it just works for everyone in terms of I think yeah I think that's what's going to happen whether I necessarily agree with it and whether I think. Again, Lawson is the oh sorry, not yours. Sorry, Yuki is the best bet for Aston Martin. If you take all of the convenience factors out of it, I think there are better drivers they could maybe go for. In saying that, I couldn't name any any one of those better drivers. But <laughs> exactly, that, that, that was my problem with this. Next, next year's a new year. There's there's lots of there's lots of stuff opening up. I mean, it's, you know, the Ferrari drivers are out of contract. Sites potentially, mm. you know. If uh, if if these rumors of Audi not coming in are true and Sainz still wants to get out of Ferrari, then maybe somewhere like Aston could 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 fall into place. But yeah, it, it's a it's it's a it's a very very good take. I'll give you that, but I'll, I'll stick with a four. Yeah, I think you could easily go anywhere on this scale, mm-hmm. and and there'll be a feasible argument you could make on 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 this one. I think it's a fascinating take, um, multi layered. Um, so well mm-hmm. done, Max. It was it was worthy of selection. So uh, keep keep up the good stuff. Um, that <laughs> I've got to the part of the list where I know this is going to upset some people. So <laughs> take number four comes from Graham. I read out the full thing because he sent me an, an Instagram message on this one. I read it out. It says, uh, hi, Graham. He says, afternoon, fella. How's it 
it going? All well, your end. I thought I said my hot take on here. If, as if it doesn't get picked, I'd still like to know your opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm unpopular now these days. Who knew? Um, <laughs> okay, okay. So the situation reads, the current situation with the drivers at Mercedes is a pressure cooker, and if they get a truly competitive car, it'll be the worst case scenario and go bang. I think giving them both contracts until the end of 2025 was a mistake. Um, and you've got to you've got top two top tier drivers battling it out to be the number one guy, and it's not hindering the team at the moment because they're not in the running for any titles. But could you imagine if they have a car every week that you can challenge every week, and these two are going at it? It would be great for us viewers, but I think it would outdo Rosberg and Hamilton. You'd be going more towards Senna and Prost. Anyway, hope you're well and keep up the good work. Cheers. Thanks, Graham. I uh, appreciate the effort. Um, so, yeah, so I'll, I'll knock it down to the short version. The current situation with the drivers at Mercedes is a pressure cooker, and if they get a truly competitive car, it's the worst-case scenario and goes bang. Uh, I wonder if this is a reference uh, to what <laughs> happened in Qatar last week. Um, I wonder. Uh, Will, what's your initial impression on this? Because um, it, it was it was like it was like the first shot in the true Hamilton v Russell rivalry, if you want to call it that. Um, in their year and year and a half, they've been together now. So, how how, how do you look at the situation? Can I say five and run for the hills so I don't have to see the consequences? <laughs> uh, oh. Sure, why not? Um, I mean, it's it's it's. I can see it. Yeah, I can. I can definitely see it. Definitely, and mm. I think if you go back, was it? Uh, it was Japan where where they were close together on track, and I feel like after Russell had what I would say is quite a subpar start to 2023 and he, he he really wasn't on it and there was there was mistakes and then he seemed to, to to not quite have his way with the car especially when they got rid of the zero pods from was it monaco onwards yeah uh that the car seemed to be going away from him and more towards lewis whereas last year it seemed to be the other way around russell all of a sudden was you know uh the one everyone had their eyes on and Lewis was fading into the back a bit. This year, it's a flip side of that. And, and Russell has started to bring things back over the last two or three Grand Prix. I agree. Yeah. And that's put them on very level pegging in terms of current performance, I think, between the two. And so they're together on track a lot more. So they're fighting over the same piece of track and the same positions a lot more. And we, and we are going to see these things. This is something that realistically, we didn't see a lot with Bottas. Maybe Valtteri would out-qualify Lewis every now and then because he was very good on a Saturday, but he didn't have the race pace to really stay with Lewis. No, I, I think it's you know there's there's a very real reason why Lewis keeps referring to Bottas as his favourite teammate, and I'm sure he was a lovely guy. I'm sure he was a lovely guy and gives and gives Lewis plenty of his uh, of his self portraits every now and then. But um, it, it's yeah, it's it's not. You find it took you a while to get that one. I could see. <laughs> but, I, I, turn, um, I turn the other cheek. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, nice, nice. Other cheek. Yeah, very oh, good. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, You're on yeah. my wavelength. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I've completely lost my train of thought now. Yeah, <laughs> I've just got Bottas stuck in my mind. That that's not. Yeah, not not a great image. Anyway, yeah. It, in fact, the point is they've got to the they've got to the stage where. They are both very evenly matched up. And 
we do get flashpoints because the car, I, th- I feel like with everyone coming closer to Red Bull in the second half of the season, the car can challenge on a good, well, if we get an, a nightmare scenario for Red Bull, like we did say in, in Singapore, or like we could have done at the start of Qatar when the Mercs were looking pretty racy at the start of that one for all of 100 metres, we can get flashpoints and we can see the two come together. And since they're both quite, I'm going to use the word desperate at this stage for, for, for that win. Mercedes haven't won for nearly 12 months now. Yeah. And Hamilton hasn't won for since Saudi 2021. So it's been even longer. Almost two as years. That, as that, de- you know, Lewis has never gone that long without a win. So as that desperation increases, I feel like the chance of a flashpoint is going to increase because Russell still wants to stamp his authority down. Lewis wants to, I say prove to everyone he's still got it. I think we all know he's still got it, but I feel like Lewis wants to fully prove that to, to, to everybody watching that it's not just when Mercedes had the fastest car, he can go through and win everything. He can win in a car that isn't the best on the grid. I think that's what he's trying to try, trying to show now to sort of tick that bit off in his legacy. But if things carry on the way they are and, you know, realistically with Lewis, he's going to get older. That mm-hmm. pace is going to start falling off at some point. And George, you'd hope, still has a little bit more in the tank with a young stage in his career. Maybe it's just this crossover point where they where they collide. And if George can step up a notch and be comfortably ahead of Lewis in a, in, in a year or two's time, maybe we want to worry about that. But... I feel at this stage in particular, if Mercedes get a very strong car coming into 2024, this is something we definitely need to consider and something we definitely need to potentially uh, worry about with those two. Because I have, they, they've got quite a good yeah. uh, relationship, it looks like anyway, from a PR standpoint. But I've, it's not quite you know Hamilton-Rosberg yet, but I can definitely see it going that way. If, uh, if 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 things carry on along their current trajectory. Yeah, what I would say on top of all that is that it helps that Mercedes are very good at damage control from a mm. from a PR standpoint. I mean, they hugged and made up. We all saw, I mean, it was, you know, you totally, in the normal circumstance, would definitely film George Russell talking to a member of his team on a balcony <laughs> as Hamilton <laughs> walks in to hug him and say, sorry, man, my bad. Um, yeah, Mercs are very good at damage control. They've had to deal with a lot of that in their years of being a top team. Um, overall, I could certainly see it. I I, I I wouldn't go as far as um as some fans I saw at the time saying, oh, we need to bring Valtteri back. I think that's a very convenient card to play if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan because Bottas didn't trouble Lewis. He was an intentional number two. Like he was brought in to weather the storm after Nico Rosberg had retired. And Bottas was a good driver who could clean up Hamilton's rare bad days he would qualify well and he would come home in second and be a great team player. If you if you're if you're running an F1 team, Bottas is ideal when he was at Mercedes. You know, he's good enough to to occasionally challenge for the win, but he'll follow Lewis home in a safe second or third, and they'll just bring home good points. That's all you need. George Russell is not that. <laughs> like, say what you will about the porpoising and how much Hamilton may have sacrificed to try and get Mercedes back up the grid since these distances regulation set started. 
without question, George Russell has been good enough to be a forward in Hamilton's side for the last year and a half. This is not a straightforward driver pairing. And as I completely agree with Graham that it doesn't feel like it's a, as, as big a deal um, because at the moment, um, they're not challenging for the title. They're in a fight for second with Ferrari and maybe McLaren by the end of the year. We'll have to wait and see. Um, if this was a championship-level team again, there'd be a lot more riding on this. And that's probably the big reason why it hasn't blown up to a massive degree yet. This was the biggest flashpoint yet without question of what happened in Qatar. And I'm firmly of the opinion that Hamilton got it wrong. Um, Max commits to the inside. George is trying to go around the outside of him, which is he's more than inclined to try. And then Hamilton's on the softer tire has taken a lunge, um, gone in too hot and then clipped Russell on the way in. It's just one of those things. It's a free wide. I don't think it was anything more than than an, an, a lap one, turn one incident, but you still would apportion Hamilton, I think, the majority of the blame. Um, they hugged and made up. They didn't see it as a big deal. If anything, they were talking about how they were trying to work together to maybe figure out a way to beat Verstappen. Um, but if you upped the ante a little bit more and this was a title decider or something along those lines down the stretch in a title fight, yeah, I could see why some people might think that, you know, having two number ones, which Mercedes has always had no problem with since they came back. I mean, they had Michael Schumacher come out of retirement for them. Nico Rosberg was better than him when he when, when he joined that team. Then they brought in Lewis Hamilton on top of Nico Rosberg. We all know how that story ended. <laughs> uh, arguably the most heated teammate rivalry in modern day F1 history. Um, Valtteri is the exception. Um, to that, and if you look at Mercedes and the teammates that have, that have built up Mercedes since coming back, it's proven they've had no problem having two number ones. And George is good enough to warrant at least an argument that he's a number one alongside Lewis. Um, on his day, he can beat Hamilton straight up. There's not many people that can do that. Um, that hasn't happened so much this year, um, certainly, but again, as you said earlier, I think Russell's form has gotten back in line after the summer break certainly i think he's looked a lot stronger since then um even if the results don't necessarily show it um it might go bang if i mean there's a big if if mercedes like mercedes have to have a competitive car again for us to really i think start having deeper conversations about this um but I think I wanted to dismiss this. I really did. I was like, ah, this is fine. They'll all get along and they'll all, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya and it'll, it'll be fine, you know, because they've not had a big blow up yet. But the dynamic changes when it's for a world championship. You forget Hamilton and Rosberg were best mates before they were teammates. And that relationship completely deteriorated when they started fighting each other. It went full mind games incidents, clashes, you know, separate debriefs, taking each other's space in the toilet, you know, that sort of pettiness that comes with two teammates both trying to win the ultimate prize. It, that's, it's it's cliched, but it's true because that's just how it plays out. That's that's how sport goes. Um, there's, I, I kind of have to say four on this one. I, I I think there's a very good chance that if if this was for a championship down the road, 
Russell is good enough for I think he could take Hamilton all the way in a title fight. And if he did, there's every chance it could lead to another, you know, another Rosberg-esque situation where they're, they're banging wheels, they're clashing on and off the track, and that relationship deteriorates. So I'm 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 inclined to agree with you, Graham. It depends on how Mercedes manages this, but there's certainly the potential for it. Uh, what do you, what do you think overall, Will? Yeah, I think I think it, it it very much depends on when they get this very competitive car. But assuming it's next year, which I don't really know what to think on anymore. I think we've been anticipating a strong car from them for a couple of years now, and every year it seems to be a bit of a disappointment. But if it's next year, I'm I'm sticking with the five that I was joking about at the start. I think it could blow up horribly. Maybe not as nasty off track as it was with Hamilton and Rosberg, but on track, it could well be worse. So uh, we'll we'll have to wait and see on that one. Do you go four on this? I'm going to stick with the five. Stick with the five. five. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Graham, yeah, we we're in full agreement with you on this one. Uh, we think that yeah, there's every chance this this gets volatile between the Mercedes, which we'll have to wait and see how that would play out if Mercedes ever has a championship contender again, which I'm sure they probably will at some point. Then they're they're too good not to be. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Final take of the episode comes from Ben Smith, uh, DM me on Instagram, and Ben says if Haas doesn't improve. Gunther's team principle, they need a... They, 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 sorry, I read that's wrong. If Haas doesn't improve, Gunther's team principle needs to go. They need a leader, not a show pony for DTS. Spicy. Uh, wow. Um, <laughs> if Haas doesn't improve, Gunther needs to go as team principle. They need a leader, not a show pony for drive to survive. Um, I'll take this one first a little bit because um, I've, I've got a few comments to say on this. Now, full disclosure, we are sponsored on Sundays by MoneyGram, which is Hass's title sponsor, but they've been very good to me in saying, Drace, be fair, do your thing. Um, that's why we love them so much. Um, <laughs> that's just me being full disclosure before I get into this. Um, you've got to remember, Gunther is more than just a team principal. If you if you read his book, which I have done, I've had the luxury of being able to do so, and you look at the history of Haas, Gunther really is like not just principal, but it's his team in all but name. He was a huge driving force behind the creation of the Haas team in general. Gene signed a lot of the checks and you know got gave him the financial backing to build this team. But the guy who came up with the business plan, the guy that was building the factory and building a team around him was Gunther. Um, he's the beating heart of that team. It was a lot like, reminds me a lot like Christian Horner at Red Bull, where Horner was there from day one. And he was the guy who built a lot of the infrastructure and has built the team to where Red Bull is now this super dominant top end team that's now won what? seven driver's titles, and I want to say six constructors, something like that. It's, 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 he's one of the best of all time, no matter which way you slice it, statistically. I have interviewed Gunther. I think he's been taken aback as much as anybody by just how much of a star he's been because of DTS. I don't think he saw it coming, and I think with Gunther, what you see is what you get. 
He's exact. I've admitted he's exactly how he is on TV. He's very forthcoming. He's very honest. Um, he doesn't hold much back. Um, he'll give you a straight answer to a lot of questions. Um, I don't think he's putting it on for TV. I really, really don't think that's the case. I think that's just genuinely the sort of person that he is. Um, yeah, it is a results-driven business, um, and. That would always come into play, and Haas are not in the best of places. I think they're what ninth in the constructors now that Alfa Romeo has overtaken them. Um, they had a very good day in Qatar um, to get six points out of it out of that weekend. So, yeah, I mean, Haas are not what they were. They were a, a borderline top five team when they first started. They've slipped since then. I'm not sure replacing Gunther is going to solve that problem personally, but. What's your what's what's your gut telling you on this one, Will? I mean, full disclosure, I am not sponsored by MoneyGram. So <laughs> <laughs> that said, you know, if they want to get in contact, that's fine. <sighs> yeah, that's fine. Um, but no, uh, for me, what I what well, I, I mean, I didn't realize this till I'd probably say about a few months ago, and I found it out. But Gunther's been in Formula One a lot longer than since 2016 with Haas. He yeah, Jaguar. Yeah, so it's Jaguar from, I think it was 2001 to 2003, Mm. and then left for a year and came back with Red Bull in 2005 and 2008. Now, there's two ways you can look at that. You can look at that from an experience standpoint, and you can say, well, look, he's got all this know-how who, thinking about the other people in Haas's top management, have they got Simone Resta? He seems to sort of float around. I don't know whether he's gone back to yeah. Ferrari or not now, but if uh, with him aside, experience-wise, he's right up there. The other way you can see that is Gunther left in 2008 and then 2009, Red Bull started winning things. So there's <laughs> there's two ways you can see it. Yeah. But uh, now, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm joking with that one. It's not just one man, but I completely agree with you. He's put in so much work into that team and a lot behind the scenes. That I, you know, I don't think people quite realize. I mean, he is Hass F1. It is not. It's. I know it's got Hass's name on the front, but it's really good for his team. Yeah, I'm trying to think. What was the last new team to actually succeed and stay on the grid? Was it? I guess Force India is no. Even then, they were Jordan before that. So yeah, I'm. I'm I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to think because obviously 2010 we had the three. Yeah, your Lotus, your HRT, and your Virgin. Virgin. Yeah, and they all they all fell apart. Before that, we had Super Aguri, who fell apart. I cannot remember the last team that have stayed and been competitive. You know, actually off the bat, I mean, when yeah. those those three came in in twenty ten, they were god awful, and it just made you wonder about the two that didn't make it to the grid and how poor they were. Yeah, it's Pass, it's it's, yeah. it's it's all it's all big family ties for these mm. teams. Otherwise, now Haas are the by far the newest team that has survived to this point. And let's not forget, we came off a pandemic. We've had a global financial crisis. Two of them. Now mm. you could argue in the last you know fifteen years, and Haas are still standing after you know a lot of things that could put you out of F1 Honda quit in, in 2008 off the back of the financial crisis as well i mean but it, we've had a lot of teams go back and forth of ownership and change and what have you so if i has to still be here 
and and I know him and I know Fred Vass has spoken about this at Ferrari as well because he used to run Sauber and he said we almost lost half the grid in 2020 like Gunther mentions it in his book as well half the grid did not almost didn't make it out of the pandemic um, so it, he's done an incredible job just to keep this team here quite frankly mm. yeah it's a frightening prospect that I, I actually mm. didn't know that half I, I didn't know that half the grid I mean it makes sense if you think about it but on top of that as well, Haas, they scored points on debut. Was it P8 for Grosjean? Six, or, I want to say. Six, it, it might be P6, yeah. yeah it's it's a win that. for us. It's a yeah. win for... I remember that. <laughs> I, remember the, I remember the Grosjean radio call. Like, mm. It's a win for us. Like, it was an amazing first first race for them. They yeah. they basically ran a zero stopper because of the red flag that was in the middle of that for that nasty... You think it was the, you think it was the Gutierrez crash? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, Ruth Buscom, uh, strategy director at Haas at the time... Uh, basically pulled a zero stopper and, and Rojon finished top six. It was, it was amazing. Mm. Uh, and that team have done so much. They've got a pole admittedly in rather, you know, fortunate circumstances, but they were out there at the right place at the right time. You didn't see any of the Lotuses, the manners, uh, you know, you, you, your HRTs managing that in 2010. We had some crazy races back there as well. Mm. So, that's not the strongest of arguments, admittedly, but <laughs> Haas are definitely a a step ahead of those three. I think that is that is you know clear as can be. The one thing I do think Haas need though is another big name. Right now, Gunther is their big name. They could yes. do they could do with somebody else. And I've not seen Haas go on these big kind of recruitment drives. Alan Permain, is it Alan Permain? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's not a bad shout. Uh, out out of a, out of a out of a job at the moment, probably on gardening leave, could be someone they could bring on board. I think the expectation is he will find his way back onto the grid, uh, in some way, shape, or universally form. respected. I think he did something mm. like thirty plus years in that Endstone camp in yeah. some capacity. It's an incredible tenure. Mm. Mm. Uh, but if they can get another big signing in there, then that might be what they need. I, I just feel like at the moment they're trying to do it all themselves and they could just do it a little bit more help, a little bit more know-how from someone who has worked somewhere else on the grid. Uh, and maybe it's a financial thing. I don't know. Uh, that's maybe the fact that's springing to mind as to why they haven't been able to hire these really big names and snatch these big names from other teams. Or maybe, you know, also they haven't got the pull yet. They haven't, besides maybe that poll, they're not, an exciting prospect for someone who's looking to yeah uh, to, to, to to move team in Formula One. Potentially, it's that. But I feel like if they can get another big name or two on board, that team has a lot of potential. We see what they can do with a little. It's now a case of what can they do with a lot, and we've got to factor in as well that it's a very very competitive grid this year. I mean, you've got everyone almost within a second. Haas aren't actually that bad. They're not that far off Red Bull. It's just there are 10 teams in Formula 1 and somebody has to be in the bottom bottom half of it. So I feel like we do give Gunther a bit too much stick in 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 that sense sometimes. And I, 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 yeah, I feel like he gets a, I, I feel like he gets a hard rap because of his personality. If mm. it, it's not like 
someone like um you know it's uh, Franz Tost at Alpha Tauri who is on the way out of that team at the end of this year um who isn't anywhere near as outspoken as some of the other team principals because Gunther is a big personality because he is very outspoken and very well liked amongst fans you know in F1 beyond F1 DTS whatever you want to call it um I think it puts a bit of a target on his back when his team is is struggled and yeah, I, I I fully agree with what you're saying. I think I I think they need to spend the money on recruitment. They have the they have the smallest team in Formula One in terms of sheer resources. I remember Mick Schumacher kind of gave the game away when he left Haas at the end of last season because he had a helmet in his final race at Abu Dhabi and he had 253 stars on it because it was one for every member of the team. And I was like, oh, so you've only got 253 people working for you. That's a low compared to like mm. Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, who've got over a thousand members of staff in their team. Um, so that just says to me that this is a team that doesn't have anywhere near the amount of resources that the big name players do. Um, this is the first year that they're spending the entire cost cap, for example. Um they made headlines earlier this year when they had that that shortened pit wall garage when they had like three boxes for people rather than the usual seven or the, the big pit walls you get on the side that attracts with like eight, nine, ten seats on them. Has have only got three in the front. It's it's little things they're doing which makes out that they're actually you know probably struggling for resources and money a bit more than some of the other teams are. I I think they need more internal help. I don't think just getting rid of Gunther is going to make the situation better. I don't, it seems like a bit of a football-esque take. Just get rid of the manager and it will solve all the problems. And as a Manchester United mm. fan, let me tell you, the temptation is there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't think it's as simple as that in Formula 1 where you just get rid of the team boss and it will solve everything. Like There's deep infrastructures um, in, in Formula 1 that you've kind of got to take on board um with with that sort of thing and i think gunfer is such an integral part of the Haas team if you're going to get rid of him you better have a top tier replacement lined up someone who can fundamentally run a team from the ground up because that's what gunfer has done to get Haas to this point and i don't think someone like that exists who's out of an f1 seat right now like you said adam Pemain's a good shout he'd be a fantastic sporting director underneath gunfer to have i'd mm. argue because he's done good work um with team instead over the years from for, again three decades plus um in f1 that would be a fantastic experience name to potentially have on 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 that seat at the table you know high ranking sort of position that's a great shout but i i, I generally am going to say two on this one i don't think getting rid of Gunther is um is is going to fix Hass's problem straight away. I think they need resources. I think they need someone that's willing to pump a bit more money in if, if Gene's prepared to write some bigger checks um on infrastructure and, and you know maybe more staff where they can um and just seeing where they can go from here and hey who knows maybe their upgrade which is due this weekend in, in in austin if that can get them one big weekend where they can get eight ten points out of it that could save their bacon for the season it's very close down there at the bottom only i think something like 13 14 points covering seventh to tenth so you know that could be tens of millions of pounds of prize money swinging on one or two weekends between now and the end of the year so i don't think it's a i don't think it's a disaster yet for Haas. i think they've got room to improve of course but uh i don't think getting rid of good is going to solve that so i'm going to say two 
on this one. Uh, Will, how are you scoring this last take of the episode? I'll be honest, coming into this one, this is where my three was going to go. But having heard and having discussed this now, I'm I'm going to agree with you and put a two. I'm going to go with a two. And yeah, for the similar sort of reasons, you know, Haas are, as we've said, I'd say arguably the smallest team on the grid now. I don't know how many people Williams employ, but I don't Apparently think 900. it's as... I heard James talk oh, about, right. talk well, about that... I heard James talk about that when he was talking about not wanting an 11th team. He said, I've got 900 employees that I want them to pay their bills. So it goes to show you, Williams, who are underperforming, have still got a huge team of people there. 900 plus, apparently. So... Yeah. I, I mean, they, 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 they have it then. And mm. for a team like that to be... To, to achieve the feats that they have so far, take strong leadership. And as much as we see, you know, the the character of Gunther come out and House almost be played as a bit of comic relief, I think, in, mm. in DTS. Equally, we've seen their highs as well. And we've seen how well they can work together as a team and how well things can go. Uh, I, I think back to, to that 2018 race that made Gunther so famous where everything fell apart. They were running, what, fourth and fifth, mm. I think, prior to that. They have the ability there, and sometimes luck might not have gone their way. Sometimes, admittedly, they have made poor calls. But he is not the one that I think we should put all the blame towards. And I like your football uh, manager analogy. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very, I very much agree with that. I feel like Formula One's kind of become quite similar to that in recent years. If you look at, you know, Otbar earlier this year, for instance, is a is a really good bet. And, yeah. and Fran, Franz Tost, arguably, potentially another one. Uh, he seems to have very much been, I don't want to say forced out, but it, I didn't get the impression that he chose to retire uh, or he's choosing no. to retire at the end of the year. I'm, I think he's I'm, been shown the door. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. So... I, I wouldn't put all that blame on Gunther. Uh, I think they are just in the situation that they are. The team are actually doing a very, very good job. So fair play. Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, look at Alpine. They like you look at all the key names they've shoved out the door in just the last year and a half. I, I was mm. writing about it on the website. Like, do you like? Do you remember when Marcin Budkowski was their team principal? <laughs> that, that was only two years ago. Um, it was, as I said on, on on the website, he he makes for a great pub quiz answer now. Like, who was Alpine team principal in 2021? <laughs> it's on the tip <laughs> of your tongue. Um, so yeah, like, is Alpine any better for their constant reshuffles? Absolutely not. They're still a lower end midfield team, and they've actually just sold a quarter of it. It's uh, it's it's fascinating. So you know, maybe the Pat Mahomes and Travis Kelsey led Formula One team will uh, will solve the problem over there. But no, I, I don't think it was the problem at all, personally. So yeah, I'm gonna say two on that one, and that'll just about do it for this week of Hot Takes Wednesday. Will before you get out of here, because we always give the guest a little plug. Not that you need the help, but. Um, <laughs> It, 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 it's only fair. Tell the good people what you do, where they can find you. Go for it. Like pretend I'm Sean Evans from Hot Ones. Just say this camera, this camera, this camera. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Well, I'll say I, I, you'll say I don't need a plug, but we we are very very close to 100k on YouTube now with uh, with, well with FP1. Yeah, so <laughs> so I, you know, I'm just I'll just throw that out there. But uh, no, I'm FP1 Will on uh, on basically all the, all the socials now. Uh, and I cover Formula One on IndyCar and take the mick and see how close I can get to not cancelling myself, which 
so far so far so good uh yeah we'll see with the uh with the, the bumping into hamilton comments if i survive this episode but uh you know we'll see we'll if, see how we go if you if you survive we'll bring you back and, and see like how, how did how did will survive his hamilton based hot takes experience <laughs> uh, but but yeah if you want to want to subscribe youtube's my main platform so fp1 will over there Indeed, he'll now spend the next two months putting together a two-hour video about how brilliant Alex Polo's IndyCar season was. Um, <laughs> do check that out. You heard it here first, folks. It's exclusively on Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm joking, but please give Will a little bump. Subscribe to him on YouTube. He does fantastic content. Uh, get him that silver badge. It's a, it's a very cool one. You know, Get him to 100K on YouTube and tell him I sent you. Um, thank you very much, Will, for coming on. We'll be back next week after the United States Grand Prix from Austin for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I've been Dre Harrison. He's been FP1 Will. We'll catch you next time. Sign out.